0: Section eight of Ruth of Boston. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Ruth of Boston A Story of the Massachusetts Bay Colony by James Otis. Section eight A Day to Be Remembered. It was on the fifth day of February, which is the same as if I had said Saturday and the fast was to be kept on the next Thursday. Susan had come to my home on Friday night to sleep in my bed with me, so that we might have such poor comfort as could be found in each other's company when we were so nigh to starving. She had awakened before the day dawned on this Saturday morning, which will be remembered by me so long as the Lord permits that I live, and moaned in distress because of the desire for food." until I opened my eyes, fretting because of not being allowed to sleep yet longer. For while I slumbered the pangs of hunger were not known. Seeing me awake, Susan began to speak of the fast day on the following Thursday, saying that if we had no food whatsoever during the twenty-four hours, at a time when we were so near to starvation, surely would we die, and she was going back to what she called the omens, which came to us shortly after we arrived, when we were startled by a loud shouting in the street next beyond, where could be had a view of the sea. THE COMING OF THE LION Dimly like one in a dream, for there was no thought in my mind this might be a signal that our time of trial was come to an end. I wondered how it was that any in this famine-stricken Boston of ours could raise their voices as if in joy, until I heard Father cry out from the living-room below, The Lion has arrived! The Lion has arrived! It might be that I could give you, by the aid simply of words, some faint idea of how we suffered during the time of starvation, of sickness, and of death but it is impossible for me to set down that which shall picture the heartfelt rejoicings and fervent thanksgiving that were ours at thus knowing we were soon to have enough with which to drive death from our doors it was a time of the wildest excitement i hardly know what susan and i did or said on that day save that we dressed hurriedly running down to the very shore of the cove finding there nearly every person in boston and stood with the water lapping at our feet, as we watched the oncoming of the ship which was bringing relief. Never before had I thought a vessel could be beautiful, but I have not seen a fairer sight than was the lion on that morning, and before night came, our stomachs, which had been crying out in distress because of lack of food, were groaning, through being overly well filled. The time of famine had passed, at least for the season, And it was as if the sick began to gain new life and health and strength simply through knowing that we were no longer in such dire straits. Another Thanksgiving Day Governor Winthrop gave voice to his relief and pleasure by ordering, even before the Lion had come to anchor, that the fast which had been appointed for the next Thursday should be a day of thanksgiving instead. And so we made it, with prayers all the more fervent because of our stomachs being well filled, and the fear of dying by starvation being put behind us. The ship was loaded with such things as wheat, peas, oatmeal, pickled beef and pork, cheese and butter, and with what my mother declared was of the greatest value, lemon-juice, which is said to be a remedy for those who are suffering with scurvy. It was not allowed that those who had money should buy plentifully of this cargo, but it was paid for by the town authorities, and divided equally among us all. When the day for Thanksgiving came, my mother allowed me to have an unusually hearty breakfast, for, she said, there was so much for which to be thankful, and so many who would be present to give thanks, that no one could say when we might be able to have dinner. It was well she was thus thoughtful— for one of the preachers who came over with us, Master Wilson, preached, while Governor Winthrop treated us to a lecture, and Master Phillips was so blessed with the spirit that he prayed a full hour. Susan and I feared we would have yet more preaching, for on the ship Lion had come a young man whom my father said was gifted, and Susan's father believed he would make his influence felt among us. It was Master Roger Williams, and I am ashamed to say that I sat in fear and trembling lest Governor Winthrop should call upon him for a sermon, after we had already had much the same as two. But fortunately, so it seemed to me, Master Williams did not raise his voice during the service. It was near to-night before we were done with giving thanks, and then at each home was held a feast. During Governor Winthrop's lecture on the Thanksgiving Day, he urged that all the people, children as well as grown folks, should take this time of famine as a lesson, reminding us that it would not be a long while before we could hope to reap a harvest, and in the meantime there was very much of labor to be performed. He declared that even with the cargo of the lion, we had not enough to satisfy our wants until crops could be gathered. But it was certain other ships would come to Boston during the summer, with more stores. Yet, because of its being possible we might come to a time of suffering again, so must we be careful that not the smallest grain of wheat be wasted. A DEFENSE FOR THE TOWN When the spring had come, and before it was time to put seed into the ground, our father set about building a defense for the town. IF YOU REMEMBER, I HAVE ALREADY SET DOWN THAT THIS NEW VILLAGE OF OURS WAS ON A POINT, CONNECTED WITH THE MAIN COAST, ONLY BY A VERY NARROW STRIP OF LAND. NOW TO DEFEND OUR TOWN FROM AN ATTACK BY ENEMIES, SAVE THEY SHOULD COME BY WATER, IT WAS ONLY NECESSARY THE DEFENSE BE BUILT ON THIS NARROW NECK OR STRIP, AND SO IT WAS BUILT. FROM ONE SIDE TO THE OTHER, EXTENDING EVEN DOWN INTO THE WATER, WAS A PALISADE. Or fence, of heavy logs, in the middle of which stood a gate to give entrance, and the law was that it should be shut at sunset, not to be opened again until day had dawned. THE PROBLEM OF SERVANTS Since coming here we have seen so many Indians as to become acquainted with them, which is to say that we no longer look upon them as savages, and have no fear to stand in the road when they pass. BUT THOSE WHOM SUSAN AND I HAD SEEN, UP TO THE DAY WHEN CHICATABUT, THE CHIEF MAN OF THE Massachusetts TRIBE, CAME, WERE ONLY COMMON PEOPLE, AND SUCH SERVANTS AS ARE EMPLOYED HERE IN THE TOWN, FOR YOU MUST KNOW THAT MORE THAN ONE FAMILY HAS A Narragansett INDIAN TO WORK IN THE HOUSE. MOTHER SAYS THAT SHE WOULD RATHER DO ALL THE WORK FOR THE HOUSE ALONE, THAN HAVE ONE OF THE BROWN WOMEN TO HELP HER, FOR THEY ARE NOT CLEANLY TO LOOK UPON but as for myself i think i could stand the sight of one of them especially when it comes to soap-making of which i will tell you later of course there are times when housewives must have some one to aid them and those girls or women among us who would go out to work in the house are not many in numbers therefore one must put up with the indians which is unpleasant or take those who are known as indentured servants meaning the people who have agreed with the Massachusetts Bay Company to work for so many years, in order to pay for their passage over from England. As for these last people, mother will not have them in the house, because of being afraid that we may not get one of food morals. Therefore, in our home, mother and I do all that is needed, rather than have around us people of whom we know nothing. Chikadabut It was not regarding the Indians, or free-wipers, as indentured servants are called, that I intended to write when I began. That which I counted to say was, that when the spring had come, after the arrival of the Lion, and we were free for the time being from fears of a famine, the Indian by the name of Jakadabit came to see Governor Winthrop, having been invited to the end, that he might sell us, who are here in Boston, this piece of land on which we are building our town." YOU MUST KNOW THAT HE IS QUITE THE MOST IMPORTANT SAVAGE ROUND ABOUT HERE, AND FATHER BELIEVES, AS DOES GOVERNOR WINTHROP, THAT IF HE SELLS US THE LAND, IT WILL BE A LAWFUL BARGAIN, BECAUSE OF HIS STANDING, AS I HAVE SAID, AT THE HEAD OF ALL THESE BROWN PEOPLE NEAR ABOUT. NOW IT SO CHANCED, THAT HE WAS THE FIRST SAVAGE OF NOTE I HAD SEEN, AND REALLY HE WAS SOMETHING GRAND TO LOOK UPON. HE HAD FEATHERS ON HIS HEAD, LIKE UNTO A CROWN and from this drooped a long trail of feathers reaching to the ground, while his leggings and doublet of tanned deerskin were covered with beads, worked in fanciful patterns, together with the claws of beasts. His arrows were carried across his back, in a covering embroidered with the quills of the porcupine painted in various colors, and he held his bow in his hand. I cannot set down as I would, exactly how he was dressed, BECAUSE HAVING COME UPON HIM SUDDENLY WHILE ON MY WAY TO SUSAN'S HOUSE, OF BEING STARTLED BY SO MUCH OF ADORNMENT, THAT I WAS LIKE TO HAVE RUN AWAY. HE CAME, AS I HAVE SAID, TO VISIT GOVERNOR WINTHROP, AND FATHER DECLARES THAT HE SAT AT THE TABLE AS A WHITE MAN WOULD HAVE DONE, SAVE THAT INSTEAD OF USING THE KNIFE AND SPOON, HE TOOK UP FOOD WITH HIS FINGERS. MOTHER THINKS THAT THE GOVERNOR MUST HAVE BEEN RELIEVED, INDEED, WHEN HIS GUEST DEPARTED for no one insists so strictly upon proper table manners as does Master Winthrop. It must have been that Chikatabut was pleased with his visit. For two or three days after having gone back to his people, he sent the governor as much Indian corn as would fill a hogshead, and in return for the gift, Master Winthrop presented him with a suit of clothing made in English fashion by a tailor." Father says that now, indeed, do we own all the land this side of the Neck, for Master Blackstone, who had a farm here, as I have already said, sold it to our people before we moved over from Charlestown. And now, with Chacataboot's selling of the same, there should be no question as to who has a lawful claim upon it. End of section 8